0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The body stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah.
1: There's a key. Once again, it's time for Evidence for Faith, the voice of Ratio Christi, and the weekly program that helps Christians to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. I'm Kirk Hastings, your host for this week. Our regular host, uh, Keith Kendricks, is... uh, Busy with some other things, so he couldn't make it today, and we have a special guest in his place who has actually been on this program a number of times before. If you're a regular listener, I'm sure you are familiar with Kevin Harold. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Kurt. Okay, so this is the program that presents the historical, archaeological, and scholarly evidences for the historic Christian faith based on the documents of both the Old and the New Testaments. And we'd also like to remind you up front that if you'd like to listen to podcasts of previous programs, they're available on our website, which is www.evidencethenumber4faith.com. Uh, you can also listen to podcasts of our program on RatioChristi.org and iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question about anything that we talk about on the show, you can email us at email at evidence the number dot faith.com and we also have a facebook page if you want to check that out okay so kevin uh, i understand that our topic for today is the deity of christ we're going to talk about the evidence for that and i guess uh to get started here up front i could ask you uh What exactly is the importance of understanding that Jesus, in fact, did claim to be God and wasn't just a good teacher or a good human being or any of the other half dozen things that people have recognized him as?
0: Well, when we talk about the the deity of Christ and, in particular, defending the deity of Christ as Christians... I think it's important because who we perceive Jesus Christ to be directly affects our commitment to and following of him. Sure. For if we see him as, like you said, just merely a good person, but definitely not divine, and I'll explain that term in just a moment, if we see him as just a good person and definitely not divine, then we'll just write him off as just one more notable but not worthy Religious figure, right? And uh, so, when I say divine instead of um, necessarily the word God, uh, to theologians that's like a sticky wicky point, I call it. And uh, mayor to explain so there's no confusion through the program why he keeps saying divine, divine instead of God necessarily is. For Christians, the orthodox view is when we say God, what we're really saying is it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So to to call Jesus God would be kind of like to say he's all three of those persons in one person. And we'll a little later talk about that. And that's not what uh, Christianity, in fact, teaches. But we do teach that Christ is part of the
1: Godhead. And of course, uh, uh, just to make it clear to some listeners who may not be familiar with some of these terms, when we talk about the deity of Christ or his divinity, that's pretty much the same thing.
0: That is correct. So
1: sometimes
0: I might even use those terms interchangeably. Right. But going back to where we were, if we are convinced that Jesus was truly man and yet also truly divine and not some demigod like was portrayed with the mythical Hercules, uh, we will approach him, we'll serve him, even speak of him in a totally different manner uh, than if we thought he was not divine. And I would even contend that if we truly thought he was divine, then we would have no choice but to follow him. Because like that would be like actually telling the very God who speaks the worlds into existence, who could speak with that power and create everything that is, uh, no, no thanks. I just think from a propositional, uh, from a thinking, contemplating, analyzing the evidence, uh, when we truly come to appreciate and accept that Christ claims truly have him being divine, we will have no choice but to follow and accept him. Because, like I said, illustration I used this morning was that'd be like when I have this little Scottish terrier who's real short, and uh I love my Scottish terrier, but it seems like uh she came with half her legs missing, you know they they got these short little legs, but they are tenacious, and it's kind of like she my little Scottish terrier telling my wife no, that just
1: doesn't happen if you know my wife. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting comparison you just made. I've never heard it uh never heard it that said that way before about how um some people would I hate to say this, but some people might out of ignorance put Jesus in the same category as somebody like Hercules who is a mythological character, not a historical character for one thing, and for right. another thing they might say, well, you know, Jesus is the son of God, and Hercules, his father was Zeus, so he's the son of a God, too. So what's the difference? They might not see that there is a vast difference.
0: Indeed, a distinct difference, because you're totally talking about, in essence, formation and origin and a lot of times we go from what we know so if all we know is mythology myth stories made up things mm-hmm. then we try to fit in these new things into that if say a person has never really dived deeply into christianity and that can be a hindrance, because now, like you said, we're saying, oh, well, you know, son of God, so he must have been born by God, too, and thus he's like half God. No, that's not what orthodox Christianity teaches about Jesus Christ.
1: And unfortunately, a lot of people do misunderstand what the term son of God means. Mm, They take that in a a number of different ways And there's actually only one correct way to take it The way the Bible uses it
0: That's correct, and that would make a great another program Because you could spend the whole program
1: on that phrase Son of God I almost didn't want to bring that up Because I was thinking we could almost (laughs) talk the whole hour on that subject (laughs) Right So why is it important then that these um, claims about Jesus Christ Being deity or divine That they be based on reality? And I think that's what we were just talking about, the difference
0: between mythology and what we claim Christianity be is that we claim Christianity is reality, and this is so very important because I think in our present time what has been diminished is the understanding or the realization that decisions must be, not should be, but must be based on reality. Mm -hmm. And I use the illustration of if I uh, were your general, and you were the soldier on the very front line, and we were coming up, and I use that term we like a doctor going to give you a shot. We need a shot. But (laughs) you're on the front line, and we're coming up against a murderous enemy. Would you really want me as your general making strategic plans with the idea that I have these imaginary
1: forces behind you? Or sitting back in a tent somewhere with these little figures on a chessboard and moving them around and saying, okay, let's do this and let's do that. But it's me doing it.
0: And right, so reality. And actually what I didn't share this morning was, from what I understand, Hitler in the end was moving around forces on his board that didn't exist anymore. And people paid the price for his lack of reality. So, but bringing that into spirit our spiritual life in the same way how can we face the next life or even deal with the struggles of this life unless we determine if Jesus claims about his divinity are based on reality or not sure and for i, I quote uh, back to keith made a point the other week in class about this very thing that there's some things that we just have to take as reality we just have to believe if we're going to be genuine true followers of jesus christ right now in actuality there's some things if we're in air like uh, the end times or your view on communion that really won't prohibit you from being a true believer in Christ. But that's not so with Christ's divinity. And he quoted John eight twenty-three, where it says Jesus was speaking of his internality with the Father when he says, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's that unless word. Unless you truly accept Christ's divinity. Mm-hmm.
1: Well... W- it, it, you know, I, I've been a Christian For about 35 years now So this sounds mm. like gold hat to me But I'm trying to put myself in the position mm. Which I imagine you are too Of some of our listeners out there Who don't have much of a theological background And maybe coming even To this stuff for the first time And asking, well, you know What is this stuff about? Jesus is supposed to be God He's supposed to be the Son of God He's, you know, he's a good teacher He's this, he's that And um, it can get pretty confusing." for the new believer, but as you say, um, unfortunately, I, I think a problem is there are many churches today who don't seem to understand anymore what the Bible s- says about Jesus, about who he really is, and if, if you don't have the basics down if you don't understand right. who he said he was right. and what authority he does or doesn't have over your life, yes. then you can call yourself a Christian, you can call yourself anything, and it's really not going to mean anything.
0: Really not going to mean anything. It's not going to change your life. Right. And that is really the essence of what Christianity is about. Is It's called life changing. You were going in one direction, and now you're going to go in the other direction, a different direction, a better direction. And that's paramount to living the Christian life. Because, I mean, the way I look at it is, what good is a ideology if all it does is just tickle your ears and you can take it or leave it? I mean, to me, that's a right. waste of time. I'm not interested in that. Right. I want the real deal. So to me, this is part of the realness of what Christianity is, talking about whether... I mean, talking about the claims of Christ being divine.
1: And a lot of people today say they believe in things and they have a quote-unquote religion that, like you just said, really has little or no impact on their life. And your point is, what good is that kind of religion? Really, none. That's the way I feel. I want the real deal. Right. Well, how how do we uh, go about determining uh, Jesus's divinity or the evidence for that? Give us some starting points there. Uh, Real quickly, I started out with the
0: idea that circular reasoning sounds spiritual, but is in actuality uh, faulty. And this is important, and I use the example of if I claim that my dog was divine, that he was, in essence, of God, he was God. The question would come up, well...
1: If you're dyslexic, in other words, and you read it D-O-G instead of (laughs) G-O-D. Oh, I didn't think of that.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, How do you know that your dog is divine? And I asked my class this morning uh, what the theological term for that was. And they you all teach looked, a
1: Sunday school class, incidentally, for people uh, who are wondering what he's referring to. Right. And uh, they all looked at me wide-eyed, and uh, I said, the technical theological
0: term for that is cuckoo. But, <laughs> but so my response would be, I know that my... Uh, dog is divine because my brand X holy book says that my dog is divine or of god and i know that my brand X holy book is
1: of god because my dog says that it is and substitute anything in the blank for dog
0: and anything in the blank (laughs) right and in logic we call that begging the question or circular reasoning my holy book says my dog is divine and my dog says my holy book is divine right uh you just can't prove something with that circular reasoning to any credible person,
1: I'm going to say skeptic or philosopher, they're mm-hmm. going to eat you alive. So, Unfortunately, a lot of Christians will come back with that when you ask them, well, why do you believe Jesus is God? Well, because the Bible tells me so. Well, why do you believe the Bible? Because Jesus said the Bible was authoritative. Right. And then, that, like you say, for the honest skeptic, that doesn't work. No, that that doesn't work. It works
0: for them, the Christian, because they've already taken that step where they analyzed and made that conclusion that the Bible is reliable. And that's really the important part. Is the Bible reliable? When we say reliable real quickly, um, we're talking about was it accurately communicated from the very early writers down through the translation? And we know that Orthodox Christianity teaches we do not have it word for word, per se, like dictation, but with over 5,500 manuscripts, partial and complete throughout history, more found all the time, and these uh, big guys, scholarly guys, using these methods like lower criticism to analyze it and do all this egghead stuff, i say, they can with sincere and intense, most extreme confidence say we have a trustworthy communication from way back to what we have now. Mm-hmm. So reliability, it means the communication is accurate. And then there's the part about the inspiration of scripture. And what I say when I say inspiration of scripture means it's of God. How do we know it's of God? Uh, The class brought out some very good points this morning. The prophecy being fulfilled, I mean prophecy written beforehand, Mm -hmm. proved to be written beforehand and then fulfilled just that way. And the immense improbability of that happening if it was not of God, Mm -hmm. Uh, the archaeological evidence when they dig up and find names and all, the historical aspect from that. But for me the biggest aspect is that it so accurately describes the blackness in my heart, the sin in my heart because the
1: Bible really nails what human nature is all about.
0: Really nails it because if it was just man made, I think the Bible uh, like Chuck Colson makes the point, the man made religion would say, you know, Kirk you and I are not such bad fellas. You know, we're we're mostly good with a few flaws, even though I'm more sure of me than you. But we're <laughs> kind of good fellas. And, you know, we're going to devise a religion. And I think it's commonplace where we do a lot and God adds a little. And together, that kind of mishmash works because um, we see that It would be human thinking that, oh, I have to do something to appease this God. I have to earn it. Right. And the fact that the Bible teaches that it's a free gift, well, to me, that says it's of God instead of man-made.
1: In fact, it wouldn't be a stretch, would it, to say that pretty much all other religions that I know of other than Christianity have some aspect in it of you have to do such and such to earn God's favor. Christianity is the only religion that says you can't do a darn thing to earn God's favor. He has to freely give it to you or you don't get it. I think that's a very good point. And that would
0: also make another great program. Yeah, it would.
1: I'm going to have to write this stuff down for
0: Keith. (laughs) Well, I'm trying not to go down too many rabbit trails. (laughs) I'm good at that.
1: (laughs) Okay, so um, we've established that this circular reasoning doesn't work, Um, at least for Uh, skeptics. And I
0: think it shouldn't work for uh, true people who want to defend the faith. It won't, won't work for them either. Right.
1: Okay, if we're justified, let's let's we could do 10 programs on the authority of the Bible. And in fact, we have done many programs in you've the done,
0: past. June and July of this year, you've done on the reliability of scripture. Right. And so I think
1: there are many reasons to believe podcasts. that the Bible is an authoritative book other than the fact that Jesus said it was. So let's get that straight first off, which is basically what you just said. Correct. Okay, if we're justified, let's assume then that we accept that what the Bible says about Jesus is accurate, um, then wouldn't it seem logical to ask just what the claims of the Bible are concerning Jesus? Yes. All right?
0: Um, Otherwise, what what might happen is... If we don't have this credible source to go to and use that credible source, we wind up making a Jesus of our own making, of our own invention. And that might be nice in the sense of I get to pick the parts I like and chuck out the parts I don't. (laughs) Um, But I think anybody with any type of reasoning can see how that that just can't be right. Uh, You're not going to come up with a realistic Uh, Jesus, you're going to come up with one you made. In fact, the author Stephen Protheo says that in the book of Genesis, God created humans in his own image, but in the United States, America's have created Jesus over and over in
1: theirs. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Hmm. The thing that pops into my mind when you say that is the health and wealth gospel. It's real easy for people in America to believe. That, oh, if you're a Christian, then God is going to make sure that you never get sick, you you're all, have all the money you need, you're comfortable, and life is just a bowl of cherries. However, if you're living in the Sudan or yes. um, Syria or some of these other places in the world that have huge problems and people are being persecuted and murdered and tortured and starved and everything else that kind of gospel doesn't work for them no that kind of americanized gospel doesn't work for them Uh, i agree so we want the real deal right okay so then you would say that the claims about jesus's divinity are unique to the Bible.
0: I would certainly say uh, Royce Gruner said, isolated 15 sayings about Jesus that are not like any of the common Jewish ideas of his time. And what he was doing is showing that this is not just some continuation of other ideas, but Jesus' claims of himself and by his disciples were unique in that sense. And this uniqueness adds credibility to the claims of divinity
1: and actually uh, we could say that's part of the thing that got jesus in trouble with the religious authorities of his time is that he wasn't going along with what they thought proper religion was all about
0: oh that that is a very good point point. and he, <laughs> he uh, suffered for that they got quite angry over that
1: yep okay um, give us some of these, uh, can you give us some of these claims?
0: Sure. Uh, real quickly, I think the one we need to start with would be the virgin birth. And in Matthew, that's uh, a good one. one, (laughs) Yes, it is indeed. And that is a point, uh, where Matthew two one says that now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the King, and thus it square, roots itself squarely in the reality of history versus some mythological tale. Mm-hmm. It points to a specific time. Right, and, and then, place. And place. And then Matthew 1, 18 through 25 tells us something that is quite different, like you say, from other religious and mythological stories. For Jesus was conceived without a human father. But yet, unlike many mythologies, neither was it a human deity propagation. Mm -hmm. In other words, God did not have physical relations with Mary, which is the account of mythological places. I mean, gods like Zeus did, and he did it quite frequently, and that's where we get the demigods.
1: Right, the guys that were half human and
0: half divine. Half human and half divine, and we're saying, no. That is not what Christ is, and his origin was not like uh, these mythological things, that a virgin was born, and thus it was of God. And we can also point to how this virgin birth being planted in the context of actual history, N.T. Wright makes the point that the early church would have no reason to invent it for the Jews at that time were not expecting a virgin-born Messiah. Uh, the homily you point to Isaiah seven fourteen, where it speaks of a virgin shall conceive, but that was looking back now. Christ used that and looked back. At that time, they were more or less thinking that that meant it was referring to Isaiah's future wife, who was a virgin, mm-hmm. and that she would conceive through that marriage. And then, uh, Grufius, the author makes a very strong assertion that there's no way any pious jew would steal any pagan myth idea and incorporate it into their own theology that would have been considered very blasphemous right so we're saying that these things go together to show that the claims of jesus divinity in the virgin birth are unique not in mythology but unique thus pointing to To the credibility of his divinity
1: right and it also um you know as i'm listening to this i'm thinking of the differences between uh jesus's birth and for instance you know how hercules was born or something that jesus is not half divine half human his claim was that he was completely god in human form yes which is not half and half it's like whole and whole which is a totally different concept than anything that came before or after that. Absolutely.
0: And that would be a great one to cover in the uh, tr- uh, program on the Trinity.
1: And and the virgin birth, really, when you think about it, is a perfect explanation of how that could be possible. Mm. Since Jesus didn't come from a human father, God was able to, I don't know what word you would use, project himself into Mary's womb without the assistance of any human father so that he could remain completely god correct without that uh human seed you know that the half human part coming in he was in human form but he wasn't it, it gets complicated but he's not half and half it's right he's holy god and yet holy human at the same time now, right. now who would think something like that up i mean that i wouldn't I mean, the half-human, half-divine idea is is an easy concept for anybody to understand. And, of course, I could imagine anybody making that up, and they did frequently. Yes. But to come up with what we're talking about, this is so different from anything that came before. It's like, who would have even thought this up?
0: (laughs) Right. So maybe it's real.
1: Yeah. It, it, It has that kind of ring of truth to it because it's not something you would expect somebody to make up. And and really, we could say that also about what you were talking about a little earlier about how the Christian religion in itself is unique because it's based on the idea that you as a human being can't do anything to save yourself. You can't earn it no way, no how. Now, right. a human being wouldn't have thought that up either. I, a human being so. would have thought something up that he could participate in
0: right in the sense of earning your salvation.
1: Right. right. Which like I said, most or all of other relig- all other religions have some aspect of you have to do this and this and this to make this work. Whereas Christ says literally in the Bible he says without me you can do nothing. Yes. Nothing. <laughs> yes. That's not something a human being would make up. <laughs> yes. We're getting a little short on time here. We'd like to make sure that we get uh part of our conclusion in here before we go into some of these details Um, uh, tell us a little bit about um, how Jesus himself claimed to be unique and how important that is Um, in the sense that
0: Claiming of so following that Jesus is. I mean,
1: unique. this isn't something that other people came along and said. Well, Jesus is unique this way and this way and this way. Jesus himself claimed to be totally different. Right, he claimed it from what he would came say
0: before. First, and then, of course, us theologians would come along and add to, but basically, we're building upon what he says. Right and to which, Gruffus uh, again also points out how that no other person or even angel made the kind of claim that Jesus did in Matthew 11, 27. For therein, Jesus asserts to have a unique and exclusive relationship between himself and the Father. Right. In that, Jesus equates the Father's knowledge of the
1: Son with the son's knowledge of the father. Or as the Jews themselves put it, he was making himself equal with God. Yes, and that Which for anybody else would be b- blasphemy big time. <laughs> right, and you'd get huge rocks
0: thrown at you. And or get not nailed, not nailed to a to cross. Just, <laughs> and ultimately nailed to a cross. Uh-huh. But to equate that, to me that would be like myself claiming to have equal knowledge of theoretical physics like Professor Stephen Hawking. Now, Hawkins is only a fellow human being, but Jesus was going way beyond that illustration because he was claiming equal knowledge with the Father, who was all-powerful and all-knowing. And Jesus even goes beyond that knowledge part. And he also de- claims to be like God the Father and even of the same likeness. And we find that in John fourteen five through 7. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely a uniqueness about his claims to be divine.
1: Now that uh, section you just referred to in John 14, is that the one where the Jews were trying to stone him? Or am I thinking of another section? Uh, I'd have to. Look and then that he said, "For what, what good work are you stoning me?" And they said, "We're not trying to stone you for doing a good work. We're trying to stone you because you're making yourself out to be equal with God." Uh, he says that actually a couple of times. They have several yeah. instances,
0: and c- so the point is that the Jews had no doubt what he was implying. Right. He he was saying, in essence, claiming that he was equal with god and thus as we understand the trinity that means he was divine
1: which really puts the lie to the idea that some people put forth today when they say well jesus wasn't really claiming to be god he was claiming to be he was a prophet and he was god's spokesperson but he wasn't god himself but we come back to passages like this where that's not how the jews understood what he was saying They understood exactly what he meant, that he was making himself equal with God, which to them was utter blasphemy.
0: Yes, and they tried to stone him, too. Yep, a couple of times.
1: Okay, so these kind of examples uh, show us that Jesus obviously had no problem claiming divinity for himself, but does anyone else in the Bible back that claim up?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I guess one of my favorite passages comes from John 1, 1 through 4, where it carries an, a very powerful argument for the divinity of Jesus. For it says there, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Hmm. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And yes, we fully acknowledge that at that time, the Greek philosophers, I think Phileos was one, used the word logos to mean something impersonal about the ordering of the universe, something not personal. But the gospel writer, John, was Jewish. So at his root, as practically all the New Testament writers, was Judaism and the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So the New Testament is a theistic book, whereas Greek thought was polytheistic and pantheistic. It just wouldn't be reasonable to think that John borrowed from the Greek thought instead of the Judaistic worldview. Right. The Because Jews
1: were very exclusive about their beliefs, and oh, they didn't mix other belief systems no, in with it. No, that was prohibited. Right.
0: So the reality of the Trinity is indeed considered a mystery, but not a contradiction. The Orthodox Christian view does not say, and we touched on this earlier, that there's three persons in one person, but rather it's three persons in one nature, right. and that God is a unity of essence with a plurality of persons. And the point I read, and I like this, it took me a while to get it through my head though, was now while this may go beyond reason, it does not go against reason. It may be hard to understand, but it's not incomprehensible. For God is one and many at the same time, but he is not one and many in the same sense. Okay <laughs> so God is said to be one in his substance for the unity in his essence what God is and the plurality is in his person in how he relates to each other within the Trinity so John's word about the word, Jesus Christ, is so clear in its implication when it says the word was with God and the word was God. Right. In fact, this is so clear in its implications that groups like the Jehovah's Witness are forced to change the wording of this verse so it will not contradict what they say about mm. who Jesus Christ is.
1: They had their own translation of the Bible that they use and right the the, the new, new world, world translation. translation right correct and they literally changed the greek here because it doesn't yes. fit with what they believe yes they say they do not say that god was I mean,
0: the word was God. They have to change that very part of the sentence.
1: Right, so that it says, was a God. Was a God. Right. In fact, they literally add that word a in there, which it's not in there. It's a change from what Orthodox
0: Christianity says it says in the
1: Greek. That's really interesting. Here's another whole show we could do on the Trinity. Of course, we have done shows on the Trinity, but, I mean, that's a subject that's
0: hard to exhaust. Dr. Enwell Hernandez, he uh, did a good show on that with Keith and you. Yeah.
1: But actually, I like this, what you just said. Um, I've never heard it quite put that way before, that God is not three persons in one person, which, of course, is a nonsense statement. Correct. But he's three persons in one nature. Yes. Right. That's, that's
0: cool. I like that. Adding to the claim about Christ's divinity, because we're not trying to push a contradiction something that's not reality, right. we're trying to define it so that we understand it is reality.
1: Right. The the best – I can think of a couple quick examples to kind of make this clear. I've A couple of uh, things that I've heard in the past trying to explain the Trinity, which it's hard to totally explain it. Mm. But this, this idea that you're talking about, um, three persons in one nature, I think of, for instance, the three sides of a triangle. You have the three sides – but it's one triangle. And the other explanation I've always liked is um, somebody told me, well, did you realize that you can prove the Trinity mathematically? And I'm like, you can? And he said, yeah. He said, most people think the Trinity is 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1, which is wrong. He said it's actually 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. Well, my professors made quite the point
0: that any illustration while intended to be helpful actually borders on blasphemy in a truly technical sense so I always avoid...
1: Because none of those
0: examples are perfect. Correct. And you're still trying to go from human understanding that something is hard to understand, not incomprehensible, but hard to understand. And in that trying to come up with some analogy, you actually fall short of what the reality of the Trinity is.
1: Right. Well, like you just said, if you're trying to say that he's three persons in one person, that don't work. I mean, any rational person is going to reject that as nonsense or contradictory or whatever. And then reject the claims about Christ's divinity. They would link them together. Right. But they need to understand that that's not what he was claiming for himself.
0: No, and that's not what Orthodox Christianity teaches. Right.
1: Okay. Uh, Tell us how the verse uh, in Philippians 2, uh, 611 comes into play here. I call this the very nature
0: divine. For in Philippians 2, it says where the Apostle Paul speaks of how Jesus willingly humbled himself so that he could take our place of punishment upon the cross, where it says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, and that every tongue will confess, here's the important part, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, Paul is then going on to assert that we must then acknowledge him as Lord. And it needs to be understood that the word Lord here is not a title like used in England of somebody in a human sense. No, what he's referring to is not a human of distinction, but instead to the very God and God alone of the universe that in Isaiah 45, 22, it talks about for I am God and there is no other. So if there is no other than God, it's defined in the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, then this claim in Philippians would back up the claim of divinity of Jesus
1: Christ. Hmm. This strikes me, too, as another example of the incredible uniqueness of Christianity. Hmm. I know of no other religion that features a God that would... Uh, lower himself to become the lowest of the low human being, wow. born in a stable, poor parents, working as a carpenter, and then sacrifice himself. Instead of punishing us for our sins, which we would imagine any god would do, Right. this god didn't leave it at that. He actually became one of us so that he could pay for our sins in our place. What other religion teaches an idea like
0: that? None that I can think of. Uh, I can't really answer that credibly, not being an expert on religion but your point being in there i was thinking of the movie the passion of the christ right now we know that's just a human movie a human concept of what happened but the right. imagery has it was powerful i remember the part where they had him tied down and they were whipping him with those hooks and the hooks would literally rip flesh out right and what they didn't show in the movie is sometimes uh, what would happen is you would expose even down to the muscle and sinew and the the bone yep rip out now if i was divine the first little nick i'd be calling down 300 billion million oh that's (laughs) our deficit 300 million (laughs) billion angels to start whooping in fact (laughs) i wouldn't even wait for the first nick when he brought the whip out that's it i'm done i'm out of here bazing
1: but that's not you would be twin eastwood (laughs) and pull out your six shooter and kill everybody (laughs)
0: I don't like pain. (laughs) I have this aversion to pain. But he willingly accepted that
1: humiliation. Right. I mean, humiliation. This is in such stark contrast to the gods of all other religions who demand worship from you. They demand sacrifice from you. They demand penitence from you. They demand um, self-punishment from you. All other gods that I can think of want something from you to appease them this god is exactly the opposite
0: and it's not that we're saying it's something too good to be true No, like i said this morning that's what i tell my daughters is when they come up some things from the internet where if you send this in you'll get three million bazillion dollars from some way far away from land. A
1: nigerian bank account yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: so that's too good to be true no this is true because it hasn't changed the price, the consequence of our sin. Right. It just changed who took the punishment. Right. And we call that theologically propitiation. Right.
1: It, it, there's still a concept of justice in there and that uh, we often say in this country, freedom is not free. Yeah. Because even though you may not have paid for it, the guy next door that got sent to Afghanistan and died over there, he paid so that you're free. That's and christianity is saying the same thing it's not um belittling how bad sin is it's simply saying god paid for it so that you don't have to correct and, and he paid the, the a essence, high price for it a very high price yep I one don't, that we would I'm never sure. expect
0: a god to stoop to do and, and something i certainly would not even be
1: close to be able to do yep not me and that's the wonder of Christianity, really, is is it kind of takes your whole Christian life to really wrap your head around the idea yes. that the God of the universe that created everything, and everything depends on him, that he did this in order to save our skins, which really, from our point of view, didn't deserve saving. Yes. <laughs> but he did it anyway.
0: But he did it anyways. And uh, we would say that John 3:16 tells us because out of love for us right. you know I as a father try to sacrificially give to my daughters but that's not even close comparison right. to what God himself has
1: done for the whole of humanity. Right. Well, as a father you might be able to conceive of possibly giving up your life for one of your daughters. But would you give your life up for the daughter of somebody halfway around the world you don't even know? Wow. I would like to say I would. And I'm going to honestly say I'd be a hard one to do. It would be a hard thing to do, and yet yes. Jesus did that. He did and that, indeed. the neat thing about what the Bible tells us is that he didn't wait for us to straighten ourselves out first before he mm-hmm. did it. He did it while we were still in, in rebellion against him.
0: So are you implying, Kirk, that you and I are still messed up in some
1: way? Um, I'm saying we're not perfect. <laughs> yeah.
0: Far from perfect, right?
1: <laughs> well, not too far.
0: Let's not get carried away. Or
1: <laughs> oh, I'm afraid I'd have to, my friend. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. From God's perspective, yes. he's perfect. And okay, we may look at ourselves and say, well, we're not quite as bad as the murderer down the street. But to God, we're all kind of on the same level. Because he's so far above what we are, he's morally perfect in every way, Yes, that the least little imperfection in us puts us far below him. Right,
0: and there's a lot of illustrations, but you, words are spoken and are true. Sin is sin. Now, the consequences of sin may differ, but sin is still sin, no right. matter what that sin is. Right.
1: Uh, I like the illustration that if you have a, a pane of glass that has a crack in it, and the, the cold air is seeping in through that crack. You know, it's only a little crack in a big window, but the window is now imperfect. Yes. And it doesn't matter how big or little the crack is, it's not a perfect window anymore. Correct. And that's kind of the way God sees us. Right. Correct. Okay. We're getting close to the end now. If you could pick one passage in the Bible that clearly nails Jesus' divinity, what would it be? That
0: would be Paul's statement about Jesus' uniqueness coming up again,
1: and supremacy.
0: In 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, through 6, I think this is where the Apostle Paul makes a very simple but intensely profound assertion about the divinity of Jesus Christ. For there it says, For there is one God, And one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And Mm. I say, how can it be put any more clearly than that, that the man Christ Jesus, knowing that Christ is a title, not his last name, Right. speaking of one anointed for a special purpose, a divine purpose, and he gave himself as a ransom, that ideal propitiation instead of you and I taking the brunt of God's wrath, of God's justice on sin. Mm -hmm. He did that. Who else could do that but God himself? Right. I like uh, what Josh McDowell, he was dealing with uh, a conference, and he was trying to have a talk with an Islamic group, and they were getting angry, and rightly so from their doctrine, they see this idea of the Trinity as a perversion, uh, a belittling of God. Mm-hmm. and. McDowell actually said he got a little angry and he made the statement. The Trinity, you know, the idea of Christ being God and yet being man is not an error. It's a solution. And he said they all went quiet because God in his holiness cannot just like an old grandfather, wink at our sin and pass it off, mm. let it go by. His then he justice, wouldn't be
1: just if he did that. wouldn't be just. Right. But
0: how yet in the same time would there be anything to come close to the standard of perfection? Only someone who was divine could meet the standard and pay the price as a substitute for
1: our punishment i've heard some people say that um well of course jesus could do what he did because he was god and he's so much better than we are and they act like you know well it's it's not fair that he had that advantage over us but here's the other way to look at that if he wasn't Better than us, he wouldn't have been in a position to do it at all. If he had sins of his own to pay for, he couldn't have paid for ours. The fact that he was the perfect, sinless God in human form made him available to pay for ours correct he so, couldn't have done it any other way
0: yeah it's not like he's just some super human a better better version of us right no they, we actually say he's transcendent he is different from us in the sense that he is god we are not god right and that aspect of being divine allows him in the justice of god to meet the standard and pay the price the perfect lamb of god that is called
1: right Okay, that about sums it up. That's uh, just about all the time we have for today. Uh, Kevin, thanks for your uh, insight and your uh, s- the things you had to say to us today. We really enjoyed it. Uh, and we invite everybody out there to join us again here next week. And remember, the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. <laughs>